So we seem to be having these sequels. So I'm going to do a sequel this evening, uh, which has to do with um, the... Uh, there is the wheel of dependent origination, which is how we get caught and how we keep kind of reproducing uh, suffering, basically, and ignorance. There's also uh, sometimes called the transcendent, or I prefer the liberative uh, and it's really, I don't see it as a wheel, as a journey uh, of uh, this uh, liberation. So uh, just to start with, first of all, just a disclaimer, you know, because uh, ultimately uh, I'm going to describe journey this evening, but at the same time, um, uh, I, I love, uh, Pascal used the word, and then it's you see it in the Zen tradition and and uh, also in the kind of culmination of some of the Tibetan uh, Mahamudra uh, material that says uh, ultimately it's about the ordinary. You know, and that uh, uh, we practice um, to ultimately uh, the result is just ordinariness. So um, that's where I'd like to start is ordinariness. I'd like to end at ordinariness. And in the meantime, I'm going to go on a little journey with you. Okay? All dharmas have but one taste, the taste of liberation. A fabled musk deer searches the world over for the source of the scent which comes from itself. That's Ramakrishna. So, um, before I kind of get into this, I, I was um, recognizing that the journey itself, uh, I, I got, uh, when I came back from uh, Asia um, some weeks ago, um, I had waiting for me one of, David White's new book of poetry. And I read this piece and I started to cry, you know, because suddenly I realized, oh, this really, uh, it, it's really what some of my life has been about. But your loss brought you here to walk under one name and one name only, to find the guise under which all loss can live. Remember, you were given that name every day along the way. Remember, you were greeted as such. And you needed no other name. Other people seemed to know you even before you gave up being a shadow on the road and came into the light, even before you sat down with them, broke bread and drank wine and wiped the wind tears from your eyes. Pilgrim, they called you again, pilgrim. So, um, I feel sometimes like uh, there has always been this uh, truth that uh, in our psyche, uh, there is something about liberation that has always been something about the mountain for me. And that the mountain meant that we had to go on some kind of journey uh, to uh, 
kind of reach those that uh, archetypal uh, truth of uh, the mountain itself. And so this liberative uh, dependent origination, uh, this journey. So uh, for me, it's actually a part of my life has been uh, many, many uh, pilgrimages that, uh, you know, it can be as simple as the pilgrimage in this practice of going to the, going to the grocery store. Uh, but then there are these places uh, that uh, have drawn me over my lifetime. Uh, that somehow uh, that there could be uh, a destination, a place where uh, I could again remember and be touched uh, by uh, the heights in the world, you know. And so uh, part of this comes from actually just uh, two years ago, there's a, a place in Nepal, it's called Muktanath. And Muktanath is, uh, Mukta uh, means liberation. So it's the place of liberation. And it's at about 14,500 feet. And it's, you go up the deepest gorge in the world, the Kali Kandaki uh, River that goes up into Tibet through uh, Lower Mustang. And uh, this is in uh, what is known as Lower Mustang. And um, my objective uh, in this was uh, there are 108 springs there that, uh, that uh, flow out. Uh, of the mountain with these sort of uh, brass dragon's heads uh, that come out. And uh, my objective was to uh, take it as a pilgrimage, as something that, you know, so many of these different journeys I've made that you have to do it alone. In the same way, when you come here, uh, even though you're with people, you are, in a sense, uh, it's, it's you and you, you know, observing kind of the complexity of your own um, you know, everything you bring with you sits down here. You know, in the same way, if you take an outer journey alone, it's also you take everything with you. You know, and sometimes for me, it was walking along the Kali Kandaki and uh, then heading up towards this uh, Muktanath and uh, recognizing that somehow uh, we can equate things and places. And this is a place there, actually, the uh, great uh, uh, Tibetan teacher, Padmasambhava, uh, went to Muktanath to dance uh, with the 108 Dakinis that, uh, you know, kind of celestial beings that were supposedly there. And he left a handprint. They're, they're, they're good at, you know, all over uh, leaving these uh, indentations in rocks that you can't really get, but it's good enough, you know? It's really about the um, inspiration uh, of these uh, kind of things. So um, I think before I, I kind of, I have my poem I wrote. Uh, it's a little more complicated uh, than sometimes I do. But I just want to take you through uh, this uh, this uh, wheel of liberative dependent origination, you know. And as I say, it's, it's, to me, it's much more of a journey process. So, you know, um, when a person is sitting uh, and they keep 
confusing themselves over and over uh, with the truth of the grasping and the attachment and the clinging, and that they keep perpetuating this becoming, starting round and round and round. And then as you sit here, you begin to see, oh, there is this place in the center of your experience uh, that uh, is about liberation. It's a place where you sit and you don't move towards or away from something. And, but the practice is to sit, to stay, is not to move. No. And uh, the practice is if you stay, uh, one of the first fundamental understandings is that um, you get that there is suffering. You know, why? Because you turn your attention back to this wheel and this wheel, you know, uh, is so seductive and uh, enchanting and uh, catching uh, that uh, it takes uh, this understanding of, oh, we have to actually understand the wheel from that first place. And then it goes on, and, and I'll go through this in some bit, but I want to kind of map it out a little because I, in my poem, I try to map all the pieces out. And um, so from that, uh, the first of these is faith, you know, and uh, that there is faith, and uh, that faith then... Um, uh, really at that point there's delight and there's joy, tranquility, happiness, concentration, uh, which then ends in uh, what is known as the kind of the knowledge or vision of the way things are. I really love that. The knowledge and vision of the way things are. And again, the journey, and then there's uh, the truth of, they say, dis, uh, disenchantment and uh, this passion. And then uh, mukta, liberation. And the Buddha didn't stop there. He said, oh, you also must have the knowledge of liberation. So this is the wheel itself. Or actually, I think, is see it more as the journey. And then it kind of uh, rests in this uh, word nirvana. You know. So, The scent of freedom. One turns away from this cycle of becoming, shaken by the force of habit and longing, knowingly dragging the bones of the 10,000 sufferings. Why is it that when we get it, the grasping, the clinging, the attachment seems so apparent dragon spewing rocks and fire, beginning this courageous battle of this self-unburdening. Heroes generously giving themselves to a journey plagued by doubt, knowing they had to mix the fear with the faith. blind once more, resting in the faith of the pilgrim who broke free 25 centuries ago, befriending the sworn enemy of clarity and heart. No possibility of turning around when the scent of freedom 
registering the truth of such a fleeting world is close at hand. One sits quietly, listening to the flow of sensations and thoughts, no longer disturbed by doubts or the need to know. Everything is like water, flowing through the palms and fingers, this deep sense that you have left behind the ferocity of a painful world. The immunity of this great silence, giving birth to this confidence and delight. You have made it past the dark shores and the burning buildings to a place on that first hill, seeing the fog and the distance and the body of the great mountain. This simple longing to reach the thin and glorified heights of a promised freedom. One gently descends into this foggy valley, consumed by its own beauty, trees with delicate moss and perfect flowers with enchanting bees, streams with perfect clarity, nothing out of place, recognizing the growing joy, tranquility and happiness, completely enthralled by the lightness of being and the virtues of concentration. Suddenly, recognizing that one still had a ways to go before reaching the great mountain. Oh my, shades of impermanence, twinges of suffering, and personality still linger. Climbing slowly out of the fog of delight. Coming to a vista, sinking deeply into this knowledge and body of truth kneeling down to drink the tears of last year's realizations. Looking up from this pristine hill, the great mountain that much closer, a steep path leading down through the rocks and bramble bushes, stumbling down through heavy fog, temporarily hiding the great mountain. the clear austerity and strength of one who knows there is no turning around. One weaves one's way down, down to the bottom of the ravine, disenchanted by the sense doors or even the conjured stories and beliefs. Everything steady, a deep equanimity allows one to climb up through the steepness, leaving behind the sleeping world, non-attached and dispassionate steps one climbs, freeing oneself from the fog. The moon shines on the great mountain, lighting up all the corners of one's own mind and heart. Now your bag is empty. No need for words or even inspirations. Arriving at the gateless gate.
a lot of words there, you know. But now to take it apart, you know, because uh, in essence, uh, I, I like to imagine that uh, somehow uh, starting this journey and recognizing this wheel of dependent origination, uh, I see it as kind of a, this river uh, that uh, is really time. And uh, our awareness of that river, uh, which in essence kind of gives us a sense of, you know, uh, this is all, uh, it's only going one direction. You know, um, some years ago now, thank goodness, uh, I got prostate cancer and, and, and um, you know, it's sort of like that thing where life comes and knocks on your door and says, okay, guess what? If there's anything that you uh, need to do, your kind of bucket list, uh, you better get on it, you know. And uh, in a way, it was such a great gift, you know, in the sense of, uh, oh, you know, uh, what are those things, what are those pilgrimages that I need to uh, undertake, you know. I love this uh, piece by Don Juan, Death as the advisor. Death is our eternal companion. It is always to our left and and at arm's length. It has always been watching you. It always will until the day it taps you. The thing to do when you're impatient is to turn to your left and ask advice from your death. An immense amount of Pettiness is dropped if your death makes a gesture to you or if you catch a glimpse of it or if you catch the feeling that your companion is there watching you. So this wheel spins and uh, we keep getting caught with, uh, you know, our old stories and somehow uh, that somehow, you know, we have this uh, idea sometimes with these stories that we uh, piddle or mess with, you know, uh, that somehow we can change the past, you know, somehow that we can have it turn out different, you know. And there is this practice of just saying, no, no, this is, this is somehow, this is where it is. This is where I am. You know. And that I choose, I choose not to move towards that or away from it, just to kind of sit in the center of it and recognize the consequences. And unfortunately, the consequences in this wheel of liberty-dependent origination is suffering. There is no other conclusion, you know, kind of uh, that first noble truth. And um, it's not that we have to get lost in it or do anything. It's just really just getting that that is the nature uh, of the, uh, that clinging, that attachment, that uh, need for somehow... uh, 
it to be different or, or something. And I think there's a, it's, this is a really important, you're not going to kind of get off of this wheel unless you uh, fully allow this to inform you, you know. And uh, sometimes I think, you know, okay, we come to this meditation hall and there's always this kind of truth that it looks like people are being so quiet and the people next to you and all that. But uh, the truth is, you know, this is uh, definitely, uh, you know, a recycle uh, dump here uh, that, uh, you know, it all has to kind of be dumped and fermented and and, uh, it's really a, a true compost uh, material here uh, that allows us in some way uh, to move, you know, to move away from uh, that wheel of becoming and start recognizing that, oh, how is it that I'm going to move away from that? And I love it. First, when I read this, this was from Ajahn Buddha Das, and I, I read this and I kind of went, faith? You know, and I kind of went, oh, wait, faith, faith confidence uh, um. and I realize in some way there's a, a means here that we get somewhat confused with because we think of you know faith that there's well there's what blind faith uh, there is uh, borrowed you know some ways and uh, reading and talking and all this stuff that goes on uh, there's borrowed and then there's verified and our main objective here uh, is uh, not that there aren't great words or teachers and all that stuff here. It's just, it's about you kind of turning, seeing the truth of your story and how it is. And then your willingness uh, to uh, recognize, you know, oh, I'm not going back. And my description here is there's this river of time. There is uh, these buildings you know, and these buildings uh, from this view uh, are on fire. They're burning, actually. And uh, that uh, recognition uh, takes us up to the first kind of uh, vista or hill. And when we get up to that hill, uh, we can look out and see that, oh, uh, there is that great mountain. Uh, and that sense of inspiration that somehow uh, it's there. And that uh, our own sense or our own longing at that point uh, towards our own liberation and freedom uh, is there. It's part of us at that point. You know? And it's in a sense, I could say, uh, that verified faith, we're kind of hooked at the top of that first crest and we see out. Now, this is John's liberal story here, uh, which, you know, um, is just, you know, my, I think it images. Um, and my image has always been, oh, that there was first a process that we could go through in this. And that uh, just to know that many times uh, when the Buddha taught, uh, there were those who simply listened and heard and got it right there, complete liberation. It was not something that uh, had to be, you didn't have to, the journey was over right there. Okay, that's really cool. 
But for the rest of us, <laughs> for the rest of us, uh, first of all, there is, uh, in a sense, and this is my imaging of this, is that there is this fog in this valley, and then there's another hill and another uh, um, another valley. You can't really see it from that point. And then there is the great mountain there. And what's lovely is there's this fog, and one uh, has uh, been struggling you know, it's it's such a hard, in some ways, a hard practice in the sense of stilling the body and and uh, you know sitting here and being like a pretzel and um, you know and and trying in some level uh, to go nowhere. You know, it's like kind of wow, what are you doing? You know, uh, but. Uh, there are also, in a sense, some kind of kudos that, that has, have to be there to keep us inspired to keep going. And in the, this kind of uh, liberative uh, dependent origination, uh, there are, uh, when you go down into this valley, and I think, uh, you know, what was it the description I gave? Well, I'll just read One sits so quietly listening to the flow of sensations and thoughts, no longer disturbed by doubts or the need to know. Everything is like water flowing through your palms and fingers, this deep sense that you have left behind the ferocity of the painful world, the immunity of the great silence, giving birth to this confidence and delight. And at this point, uh, we begin to uh, descend into this valley. And um, one gently descends into this foggy valley, consumed by its own beauty. You know, you've had those meditations where, you know, everything is so still and there's a, a sense of delight. And um, hopefully, you know, or once in a while, or once. But you know what I'm talking about, you know? And that at that point, you know, uh, the way I kind of describe it here, by its own beauty, trees with delicate moss, perfect flowers with enchanted bees, streaming with perfect clarity, nothing out of place, kind of like this place. You know, recognizing the growing of joy and these factors that uh, Trudy was talking about last night, these factors of awakening, which are really the foundations of the journey itself. Tranquility and happiness, completely enthralled by the lightness of being, and the virtues of concentration. So uh, we have this as a, I see it as the supporting means. And it gives us some strength and some confidence uh, and uh, it does deal with, uh, in a sense, the concentrations and the, um, uh, the results of those. And they are uh, a healthy means. But again, 
uh, in the tradition, they say, oh, this is, there's still a fog there. And the fog is covering uh, the mountain. So you can actually get, uh, you could uh, get quite lost in the joy and the delight uh, and the happiness and the tranquility uh, of that uh, valley in itself with everything so perfect, you know. But, but, at some point there's a recognition that, uh, that one, in oneself, one recognizes, oh, uh, this is still, there's still some grasping and uh, catching and some holding that's there. And we have to then realize that, oh, we're going to have to walk up another hill. Suddenly recognizing that one still had a ways to go before reaching the great mountain. Oh my, shades of impermanence, twinges of suffering, and personality still linger. So one has to climb. Again, you know, one made it out of that first valley with the kind of the burning houses and the river of time and uh, realize, oh, this isn't over yet, you know. And I kind of love the language of this. Uh, It's always been so uh, inspiring to me, this uh, language of um, the knowledge and vision of the way things are. You know, it's so, I don't know why it kind of gives me tingles, you know. But I realize at this point, you know, um, we have to, in a sense, kind of go up. And, and, and at that point, you can see, uh, again, you're closer to the mountain, you know, but you're not there. And uh, the uh, qualities, uh, you now have a very kind of steady and, 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 and a sense of, um, you know, you have calm and peace uh, as your friends. But, but, there is still the truth, the truth of uh, the impermanence, you know, of uh, the lingering truth of what uh, we could easily kind of go back into that becoming. And at that point, uh, sitting on the top of that uh, kind of second crest uh, with the knowledge and vision the way things are. I think sometimes, and and I'm going to be liberal here, is it's a place where um, by that point uh, you have a lot of insight into, um, you know, in a sense kind of the working of the universe and working of your mind. And so... Uh, you can also get caught in the kind of, uh, what is it, the kind of the magical thinking at that point, uh, simply because, you know, how real is any of this? You know, I'm not here to talk about that, but, you know, uh, it's a question. And so, so there are these questions, you know, and that uh, we do kind of, uh, you know, uh, want to find kind of in a sense kind of magic, and I know a long time I, I still have a little bit of belief in that magic. You know that uh, things aren't what they seem, uh, and yet they are what they are. I know that too, 
but um, uh, in many of the traditions, you know, you can, you know, there's the reading of minds and uh, seeing through walls and, and uh, you know, all those kind of things. And then you can get trapped there, you know. And why? Uh, just simply because uh, you do have uh, this uh, vision and knowledge of uh, how things work, you know. And not just the uh, characteristics of impermanence and suffering and uh, this uh, self, but uh, uh, nature and how it uh, works. Now, at this point, it's always this is always kind of a interesting place to me because um, you have the mountain there, and you have to choose then to uh, kind of leave that the the um, the vista and kind of the wider seeing at that point. And uh, as the tradition says, at that point, you actually have to descend, you know. And, uh, yeah, how did I put that? Looking up this, from this pristine hill, the great mountain, that much closer, a steep path leading down through the rocks and bramble bushes, stumbling down through the heavy fog, temporary hiding, temporarily hiding the great mountain. The clear austerity and strength of one who knows there is no turning around. And the language they use here uh, is, um, and there's different translations of this, but this is one I like, is uh, disenchantment. You know, and that we have to somehow go down into this ravine uh, that um, what releases, in a sense, the uh, the uh, the known world in some way. You know, uh, which is uh, incredibly. Uh, powerful, beautiful, um, that love of life. And yet, at this point, it's almost like you have to leave a part of that that holds to life up on that hill and descend into uh, this ravine. And the language of disenchantment, you know, like I'm not buying this, you know. All these senses... You know, that, oh, when I look out, uh, everything is made uh, of parts. And the part of the whole practice is this, that we start to look at things and see that they are not what they appear to be, that they are actually something that is just parts. And the parts you can just take down to nothing, you know. So all you're actually, the senses are experiencing, whether it's sound or seeing or thinking, it has no substance. Uh, it is empty phenomena, you know. And that's kind of, whoa, wait a minute. Was this the deal, you know, that suddenly I deconstructed the whole damn thing? And, uh, you know, and I wasn't even part of it, you know. It was just this phenomenal world, you know. 
And in that process of deconstruction, you know, that uh, we actually reach the bottom of the ravine, uh, recognizing the unsubstantialness uh, of the world that uh, is these five aggregates and how they uh, manifest themselves. And we don't believe it anymore, you know. And at that point, they say to climb back up into the last hill. Uh, They use the words, and this is again these translations, and I'm not so hot on this particular translation, but I can't think of anything else. And the word is dispassion. You know, it's okay, I'm going to walk up and, and I know that, you know, all tainted and uh, painful, uh, all, all tainted and um, unclear emotions are painful. I know that, you know. And so at that point, there is this has to be, in a sense, kind of the hero's journey of, of uh, climbing up that last kind of slope. And uh, one no longer believes uh, in uh, the, uh, what? Things are not what they appear to be. And yet they're exactly what they are, you know. It's, uh, I was thinking, oh, hi, Prajnaparamita, uh, you know, uh, in the sense of this truth of, of um, can you hold this dichotomy? You know, kind of the truth of just as it is and that it's not what it appears to be, it's empty of uh, any uh, in essence or substantialness, you know. And at that point, one weaves on the way down, down to the bottom of the ravine, disenchanted by the sense doors or even conjured stories and beliefs. Everything's steady. A deep equanimity allows one to climb up through the steepness, leaving behind the sleeping world non-attached, in a dispassionate step. One climbs. Freeing oneself from the fog, the moon shines on the great mountain. Freeing oneself from the fog, the moon shines on the great mountain. Lighting up all the corners of one's own mind and heart. Now, your bag is empty. No need for words or even inspiration. Arriving at the gateless gate. And then you're nowhere. You know? It's back to the ordinariness of uh, having taken a pilgrimage, a journey, and that um, you have learned from the inside. 
uh, how things work. You know. And it's true along the way. You know, sometimes you get caught around the burning buildings or the river of uh, time, and somehow it, uh, you know, scares you. Uh, other times, you know, you come and you settle down, and you know, this practice can just be an incredible delight. And uh, you know, joy and tranquility and happiness and concentration, they kind of uh, hold you uh, uh, and convince you it's okay to go on. You don't have to turn around. You know. So, I think that's good. I'm going to read this poem again. Maybe, you know, it's so funny, these things, they don't make much sense sometimes when I first read them. But then when I kind of go through all the pieces, then they kind of make sense. Yeah. So that's they're kind of individual for each teaching, it seems. The scent of freedom. One turns away from this cycle of becoming, shaken by the force of habit and longing knowingly dragging the bones of the 10,000 sufferings. Why is it that when you get it, the grasping, clinging attachment seems so apparent? Dragon spewing rocks and fire, beginning this courageous battle of the self unburdened. Heroes, generously giving themselves over to a journey uh, plagued by doubt. Knowing they had to mix the fear with the faith. Blind once more, resting in the faith of the pilgrim who broke free 25 centuries ago. Befriending the sworn enemy of clarity and heart. No possibilities of turning around when the scent of freedom. Registering the truth of such a fleeting world close at hand. One sits so quietly, listening to the flow of sensations and thoughts, no longer disturbed by doubts or the need to know. Everything is like water flowing through the palms and fingers. This deep sense that you have left behind the ferocity of a painful world. This immunity of the great silence giving birth to this confidence and delight. You have made it past the dark shores and the burning buildings to a place on that first hill, seeing the fog in the distance in the body of the great mountain. 
this simple longing to reach the thin and glorified heights of a promised freedom. One gently descends into this foggy valley consumed by its own beauty. Trees with delicate moss, perfect flowers with enchanted bees, Streams with perfect clarity, nothing out of place. Recognizing the the growing joy, the tranquility, the happiness. Completely enthralled by this lightness of being and the virtues of concentration. Suddenly recognizing that one still had a ways to go before reaching the great mountain. Oh my, shades of impermanence, twinges of suffering, and personality still linger. Climbing slowly out of the fog of delight. Coming to a vista, sinking deeply into this knowledge and body of truth. kneeling down to drink the tears of last year's realizations. Looking up from this pristine hill, the great mountain is that much closer. A steep path leading down through rocks and bramble bushes, stumbling down through heavy fog, temporarily hiding the great mountain. the clear austerity and strength of one who knows there is no turning around. One weaves one's way down, down to the bottom of the ravine, disenchanted by the sense doors or even the conjured stories and beliefs. Everything steady. A deep equanimity allows one to climb through the steepness, leaving behind the sleeping world, non-attached in a dispassionate steps one climbs. Freeing oneself from the fog. The moon shines on the great mountain, lighting up all the corners of one's own mind and heart. Now, your bag is empty. No need for words or even inspiration. Arriving at the gateless gate. So let's just sit for a moment.
So thanks to the frogs for their uh, constant uh, support. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.